the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. For the next hour, we're going to be talking about building your wealth. And you want to get to financial independence after you retire or after you exit your daily professional activities on your own schedule. And that's what we're about. That's what Aptus is about. They're located in Lewis Center, right near the 270-23 interchange, a little north of that, just off Route 750. Set up your free consultation with the Aptus team by calling for an appointment. 614-917-1040 is their number. Their website is Aptus Wealth, aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Josh Pick, back from New York City in a big trip to a financial conference. So how did the trip to New York go? What was the highlight? Well, it was a great time. You know, it's always good to to kind of experience the energy of New York City in general, but then there's the energy of Wall Street. Yeah. And if you've never experienced it, it's it's tangible. I mean, it's, it's visceral. You can feel it. Uh, but it's been a long time since, you know, I've experienced a board of trade, if you will, you know, and, and if you think of, I used to spend a lot of time on the Chicago board of trade and uh, back in those days, much like, you know, in, on wall street, you'd have people running around with these pieces of paper yelling, you know, I got 300 shares worth of this or 300 shares worth of that. And, and that's what's on the paper is like what the trade is, the individual trade. Yeah. I mean, literally you would say I, I got an order for 300 shares of Coca-Cola um, I have to go match that. So the purpose of the stock exchange is to match sellers with buyers. And oh, those okay. people are called market makers. And that's what keeps our market moving seamlessly and efficient. And rewind the clock back to, you know, 20 years ago. And, and it was quite literally who can rush to the order gate. Think about when you go to a carnival and there's, you know, you go get your tickets for the ride and everybody's waiting in line. Right. Well, similarly, everybody's kind of waiting in line to see where their order fits. So you had the whole room filled with you know, think of linebackers trying to, you know, run through the crowd and get their order there fastest. And at the time, if you think about 20 years ago, there were about 5,000 people on the floor. And if you want to kind of put into context what um, the New York Stock Exchange size-wise looks like, it's probably, the floor is probably about 10,000 square feet. So it's a big building, but 5,000 people is elbow to elbow. So are we right? talking about like a, a space the size of maybe the lower bowl that a Blue Jackets game would be played on in a hockey arena, like twice that area or half that area? Or yeah, what? I would think of think of the ice, Yeah, right? And you have 5,000 people on the ice Ooh, all okay. running, right? Well, now fast forward to today, and while I was there, there are 100 people on the floor because it's all computer run. 100 people. So all of that is gone by the wayside in lieu of computers and technology. But that does not detract or take away from just the... Uh, again, the energy of the floor, knowing that millions and millions of transactions are occurring there daily. 
But I wouldn't say, quite frankly, that that was the highlight of the trip. Um, the highlight of the trip for me was we've all heard of the stock. We've all heard of the the stock market, which we usually refer to the stock market by what we're really saying is the Dow Jones Industrial Average, or we're staying the S and P five hundred. Where the S and P five hundred is a uh, index that was created, founded, and licensed out to other companies by a company called Standard and Poor's. And Standard and Poor's is probably, I don't know this for sure, but probably the largest research uh, arm of the stock market in the world. And their headquarters is right down the street from the stock exchange. Um, The building is so big that they're in that it quite literally has its own zip code. So if you want to think about the footprint, it is the largest footprint building, not by height, but by, you know, footprint. Yeah, that's amazing. um, In uh, New York. So that was great to be able to talk to all of their research analysts and kind of get a a pulse for where they think the market's going, but also where has it been? And when it comes to statistics and pure statistics of what's happened, they are kind of the resource. Okay, so you've talked about the the optical differences in the trading floor, not as crowded, but is business still done the same way? It's just done electronically, which I would assume is maybe a not. Is it more efficient now that it's electronically done? Yeah, well, it's more efficient and it's really taken out some of the gaps. So if you think about uh, rewind the clock back 50, 70, 80 years ago, and being in New York gave you a substantial advantage in trading because you were right there and executed trades. I mean, if you go back 50 years or even 40 years, if you were a stock broker, you had a tube that was <laughs> that was on your floor and you would write in an order, put it in a tube and it would like at the bank go, thump, yeah. and then they were trying to get that executed as quick as possible. And it was all hand transactions. So the distance that you were away from the stock exchange was a huge disadvantage. But fast forward to today, and you can transact business darn near as efficiently in Nebraska as you can in downtown New York City. Josh Pick, Bruce Hooley with you, Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. This will replay tomorrow at noon. So if you have friends, you think they'd be interested in the content, we'd love to have them listen to it. And you can subscribe to Josh's YouTube channel by signing up as a subscriber on his website, aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. You can also set up a free consultation with Josh and the Aptus team while you are on the website. The YouTube channel uh, displays this kind of information, but it breaks it down by topic, and you can pause it, rewind it, stop it, take notes on it, share it with friends. It's a great way to ingrain these concepts. The best way, though, is to meet with Josh and his team to have that free consultation. My wife and I have done it. We are Aptus clients. And what I loved about it was I was a friend of Josh or a colleague, I guess, if we're colleagues here uh, on the show, for more than two years. And I wasn't, uh, you know, I was kind of surprised. Like, he never said anything about, why don't you come in and meet with me? It was actually me that had to bring it up. So it's a definite low-pressure approach. And you can set that up by calling the office, 614-917-1040, 614-917-1040. Okay, so is this the first time you've been to New York in 20 years? Uh, in the last 20 years, yeah, it's the first time I've been back. So yeah. I don't know that this is a financial observation as much as I'm just kind of con- con- curious about like an optical difference in New York 2023 as opposed to New York in the aftermath of 9-11. Yeah, you know, I, I, again, particularly I was, in that district, the financial district is where the towers were. Yeah, and I was very isolated to that district, so I wasn't going around. I can't speak to all of New York City, but um, you know, obviously, I went over to the memorial yeah. for nine eleven, and and that's a big difference in that there's two very large buildings that mm-hmm. are no longer there. Um, but I would say there's an increase in memorials around the town in general. There's a tremendous amount of just memorial activity. I mean, whether it's for the Irish hunger famine of the you know hundreds and hundreds of years ago, all the way up to 
uh, you know, the 9-11 memorial. So that, But I would say that the city, at least in, in the Wall Street area, still felt to me very safe. Um, you know, it's New York, so I wouldn't say it's the, the cleanest. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, no, don't compare it to Salt Lake City or sure. anything like that. Right. But, but uh, you know, if there's any, any indication, uh, I had heard that they were hiring a $150,000 position for rat uh, exterminator. Because there's still plenty of rats in New York. So that hasn't changed. The traffic hasn't changed. The beeping hasn't changed. But I wouldn't say that the vibrance of the town has changed either. Construction still seems to be going very rapidly. And if you want to get a a feel for, you know, what the floor of the New York Stock Exchange looks like uh, from kind of a firsthand view, I took a very short video. I'll throw it up on YouTube later today. It'll kind of show you even from CNBC's closing bell to Jim Cramer's Mad Money that's filmed on the New York Stock Exchange on the main floor. It can kind of give you an idea of what that floor looks like in size and scope. So when you go to, when you were there for a conference, yeah. uh, so are you going like to uh, gain new information? Are you going like, are you reading information on the flight as you go? Are you, uh, you know, are people there trying to sell you stuff so that you can market these particular investment uh, matters to your clients? Like what's the purpose of the conference itself? Yeah, so the conference itself was put on by a um, by a financial institution, and it was a mastermind of sorts. So think about people from various parts of the country who would be considered somewhat leaders in their field uh, by, you know, assets under management production, you know, notoriety, whatever it might be. And the purpose was to bring in five to ten people and, and kind of have a sharing of the minds. But also the benefit of New York is if you think about an insurance company, for example, um, an insurance company takes in your money – and then maybe issues you an annuity. But mm-hmm. there are a lot of mechanics that have to happen behind the scenes to offer you the guarantees, that all the things that go along with that product. And most of those are hedged via other companies outside of the insurance company. You've probably heard of things like reinsurance. All of those entities, you know, Brookstone Capital and all these big companies, you know, think of um, uh, Citadel, right? We've all heard of Ken Griffin and his company Citadel. Mm-hmm. All these companies are just in a couple of blocks, so you end up going around and speaking to all of them and saying, all right, what do you see as challenges coming down, not just for the end client, but for the industry as a whole, for the economy as a whole? Where do you believe that uh, with S&P, for example, you have the S&P 500, which tracks just for all intents and purposes, the largest 500 companies in the country. But from a research perspective, if you look historically and try and compare, I'm not saying the history repeats itself, but it usually looks somewhat related from a historical perspective, um, with all of your research, where do you believe the best or most advent- advantageous place to put your money would be for the next five or ten years? And you have your finger on the pulse of all of the people that you see on television, yeah. all of the people behind the scenes, all of the most well-respected. Think of a whole room full of Harvard PhDs and statistics, mathematics, and CFAs, and all of the, the alphabet soup all at your disposal to ask all the questions that you want. So it's hugely helpful. Josh Pick, Aptus Wealth Management. I'm Bruce Hooley. We host the Aptus Retirement Blueprint radio show every Friday night at 7. The show replays at noon. And you can get a free consultation with Aptus by calling their office for your appointment. Their number is 614-917-1040. They're located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750. They do uh, consult with clients remotely, so you need not be a Central Ohio resident. To be a client, if you'd like to set up your appointment online, you can make that appointment at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. And while you're on the site, it's a great, uh, convenient way to subscribe to Josh's YouTube channel where he posts a lot of these topics and other topics in small to digest, easy to digest 
doses. Okay, so we've talked on the show a lot about volatility and hard to predict where the markets are going and all that. So you're in New York, you're talking to all these people. Do you find that there's a lot of volatility, for lack of a better term, in their projections or more consensus as you talk to them about what's coming up down the pike? Well, let's speak to volatility and let's just look at 2021. I found this very interesting. Uh, So the S&P 500 has been around since the first full year was 1958. So it started in 1957. The Dow Jones Industrial Average has been around longer than that. But in that amount of years, from 1958 until 2022, 2021 had the largest disparity in volatility between the highest performing sector and the lowest performing sector. And let me explain what that means. Although the S&P 500 is 500 stocks, there's a lot of what we call sectors amongst that. So you have energy stocks. Sure. You have technology stocks, communications, consumer staples, all these different sectors. And there's 11 sectors that are represented in the S&P 500. And you've probably heard at some point in your life people say, well, there's always a bull market somewhere. Or there's always money to be made somewhere. And what they're referring to there is, although your fund might have went down or although where you're invested might have went down, that doesn't necessarily mean that something else went didn't go up. And last year in its entire history was the greatest disparity between the one that went up and the worst one that went down. And last year, if you look at the energy sector, so think of Exxon, all these stocks. Chevron, sure. And compare it to communications. There was a 106% difference between the 66% that energy stocks were up and the 40% that communication stock, there has never been that significant of a disparity in the entire history of the S&P 500. And I think it's important to note that that includes the dot-com bubble of 0102. That includes Black Monday of 1987. That includes the financial crisis of 0809. Everything going all the way back to 1958, there was never a more disparity-ridden time. So, you know, if you try and project that forward, what does that mean? While overall volatility of the market may be, you know, pretty normal, right? So, you know, this is another fact, though. Last year was the worst year. It was the fourth worst year in the history of the S&P 500 in a 12-month basis. Fourth worst. Fourth worst. So it definitely wasn't good. However, um, clearly there's been other times like this. But the takeaway was that the disparity among sectors or the what we would say, inner market bubbles. Mm-hmm. So not the market as a whole, but sure. these little sectors of the market bubbles are gaining in disparity, uh, which I would believe that would point towards appropriate asset allocation as being as critical as stock picking. Sure, that makes total sense. I mean, I, you don't want to be in communication stocks if they're down and you know you missed the opportunity for growth in, uh, in energy stocks. Josh Pick, Bruce Hooley with you. It's the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. Okay, so is there any consensus with what they track uh, and the fact that people are invested in different things, not just in the stock market, but some are in annuities, some are in bonds, whatever. Is there any kind of uh, assessment made across the wide spectrum of retirement savings, how they've done during this really volatile time? Like, do any of the big big players in this track, like, what generally retirement savings are up X percent, down X percent? What was interesting to me is just how much is tracked. And I assure you, everything is That's tracked. That's what I would expect, yes. Yeah, so there was a lot of um, kind of eye-raising, uh, eyebrow-raising moments for me that I thought were quite shocking. And one was um, the amount of people that last year, even in spite of all of the volatility, started saving more, which is a good sign. Because typically, 
at least throughout history, as volatility goes up, people get a little sheepish. They get a little scared, and they don't want to invest during those times. And that's why, unfortunately, there's something that we call the investor behavioral gap that affects what you actually earn versus what the market returns. And historically speaking, you look at a market which might be up you know, 10% over 20 years, and the average investor during that time period maybe was only up five. Mm-hmm. The gap between those, a lot of people would say, well, that's just fees and brokers. and It's actually not the case. Typically, it's in downtimes people are too afraid to invest. And then when the train gets moving, everybody wants to hop on the train, but they've already missed all of that, that growth sure. between the gap. But last year proved to be a little bit different. As a matter of fact, if you look at um, Gen Zers, which is, well, I would say, probably the the youngest investing group of yeah, people I think that's that we like have. Yeah, like 1997 to 2012, 13. Yeah, so there. those are their birth dates. So yeah. you think, you know, they're in their 20s, right? right? And that's usually when people start investing. Obviously, it'd be great to start sooner. But their IRA contribution, uh, or uh, not contributions, but IRA startups were up 71% versus the year prior. So people were opening up and think, at least thinking about investing, even in spite of the down economy. And, and that was reflective amongst all of the generations, by the way. It was just that being the most extreme outlier. Um, the other thing uh, that was interesting is, you know, I, I read an article that said, um, you know, in, it was out, put out by Fidelity. It said retirees lost 23% of their 401k savings. You know, is it time to hit kind of the panic button? Ouch. And what does that mean? Well, the average retiree um, essentially went from having $130,000 in their 401ks to down in the you know low 100000 mark. But good news, um, that's up from where it started in quarter three of 2022. Um, so we're actually up from 97000 But think about that whipsaw. You went from 130 to 97 to 104, right? That volatility is having an effect on people's decision-making as they move forward. So on one end of the spectrum, you have younger folks investing at a higher clip, but you have people who are on that kind of retirement red zone. They're, they're, they're reaching the, the goal zone where they critical have to mass, re- yeah. critical. I mean, they, they have to start. They are reliant upon themselves, probably the first generation in history that are completely reliant on their own retirement. They're, there's no more pensions. They're, for most right. part, they're all gone. And they're having this extreme volatility, and it's starting to make people make some, uh, unfortunately, poor decisions. Well, it's good news to hear that more people are starting to save for retirement. That's certainly what we encourage and what I know you encourage at Aptus Wealth Management. They're located in Lewis Center, off Route 750, your free consultation. Set up the appointment online, aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com, or call the office, 614-917-1040. So I'm curious... We had a volatile down market because you talked about uh, people losing 20% in their retirements, but you had a bunch of young people starting to save for retirement because you said they're, I think, a 70% increase. Mm -hmm. Okay, so is that people acting on that age-old phrase we hear all the time, buy the dip? Like, everything's down, so I'm going to get in now and buy when it's low because inevitably it's going to come back. It seems like a high number to account for that, but that's the only thing I can think that attributes to. Well, I think a lot of things happened uh, over the last couple of years uh, that kind of brought that to light. One, wages are up, um, significantly up amongst the, you know, 20 somethings Mm -hmm. as, you know, supply in the labor force went down. So people were flushed with more money. That's a good thing. But the one uh, you know element that we could not differentiate is, is this because people are buying the dip and they recognize that 
there's no greater asset on their side than time and they need to get in as early as possible? Or how much of this was representative of uh, some of this, you know, Reddit investing, which is a little bit scary. Oh, right, right, right. right. I I forgot about that. Yeah. So how many of those people, which is a little bit terrifying, but how many of those people are trying to, you know, buy these bankrupt companies uh, because, you know, Reddit told them to and they're trying to make the this huge gain on AMC movie theaters yep. or Bed Bath & Beyond or GameStop or whoever it might be. And the reason why that's concerning, if you're listening to that and saying, well, hey, if they can make a few bucks, why, why do you care? Um, because sometimes buying on the dip is actually a very foolish thing. There's uh, you know, a very strong history of what we would call bull rallies in a bear market. Now, I'm not suggesting nor recommending that people change their investments based upon me saying that we might be heading into a bear market. But I would say that nobody would argue that we don't have a little bit of a headwind ahead of us. And, you know, all eyes are on the Fed. All our eyes are on what what are they going to do with interest rates, corporate earnings, all sorts of stuff. And in light of that, if you were buying on the dip and then it dips again, Mm. history would prove that those people usually don't tolerate the double dip very well. And then it exacerbates the problem. So I would be cautiously optimistic. Well, I think, you know, uh, a stock can dip. Or a market can dip. You know, like, I think when COVID hit, everything went down. And there were some industries that I looked at and I thought, there's no real reason for that to be down other than people are just panicked. And so that industry is probably going to bounce back. But if it's a company that's in trouble and it just becomes like the fancy thing for people to like, it's a meme stock, GameStop was pretty much a classic example of that, Um then I could see where it could be dangerous. But there's no doubt, and and you certainly have talked about the power of this many times, the power of starting a disciplined savings approach, having a plan, the blueprint is what you guys call it at Aptus. And I saw something today that just brought it all home for me. There was a question posed online. Would you rather have $1 million, somebody could give you $1 million, or they give you a penny with the promise that that penny would double every day for 30 days. And I knew I was being set up. I knew the answer was going to be the penny, but I couldn't envision how that could possibly be. I know a penny doubling every day, but I just didn't think it can't be worth more than a million dollars after 30 days, but it is worth a lot more than a million dollars. Yeah, I would guess that's probably somewhere around five or six million bucks would be my guess. Five million three sixty nine. $5,369,000 if you get a penny and it doubles every day for 30 days. And before we we dive into this and talk about, you know, Einstein said that uh, compound interest is the most powerful force in the universe, (laughs) right? So uh, obviously he knew a few things, and and that example really exemplifies that fact. But I use this example all the time when people come to me and say, "I, I read online there's this guy or this girl that has this new trading strategy, and they're making you know, 200% a a month or or whatever it is, you know, yeah, it's risky, but they're really, you know, he's posted 250% returns every single year. Well, what you just illustrated is off of a penny. If you were able to get a 50% or 100% rate of return every day for only 30 days, you'd have 5 million bucks. Now, if we just said, all right, well, let's not do a penny. Let's say you had 50 grand and did the same thing. If you were able to do that, I assure you, you're not selling the new trading strategy at sixty nine ninety five, because you're sitting on an island made out of money yeah. that you generate every single day. So just use that example as a word of caution when you read things that sound too good to be true. They probably are because, 
I mean, good Lord, a penny turns into five million bucks. Yeah, and we often see, too, these uh, headlines. If you put $1,000 into X and held it for 10 years, you would have X. Um, just generally, like, what do, you, what do you think when you see those things? Like, are those bait for you to grab onto and maybe not always solid? I mean, you better pick the right company or you're so down. Yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely clickbait out there, right? You know, the, the and I'm not picking on Montley Fool, but Montley Fool, uh, albeit a great research firm, I'm not, again, I'm not picking on them. If, if you're looking on Instagram or Facebook or any of the social media sites, it's always going to say, if you would have purchased this stock, right? oh, really, if I would have bought Apple when it went IPO, <laughs> I would have been really wealthy today? Well, yeah, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. Now, that said, we cannot ignore the fact that compounding is, in fact, the most powerful force in the universe, and we cannot deny the fact that starting early is the most advantageous thing you can do. Being disciplined and having a steadfast approach will always serve you well. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why we do this show and why we encourage people to come in for the free consultation at Aptus. 614-917-1040 to set that up. You can also make your appointment online. Their website is Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. And we're going to talk about retirement and managing your wealth and getting started And when you start, the earlier you start, does that help you maybe not have to be as disciplined or maybe not as uh, deeply invested later on in life? So thanks for listening. More to come on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. Aptus is located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750. Their phone number is 614-917-1040. Why would you need to know that? Because you can call it and set up a free consultation with Josh and the Aptus team. Get a plan. They call it a blueprint to work toward financial independence later in life. A lot of things can come up. End-of-life care, volatility in the market now is taking a chunk out of people's retirement savings. Do you have a 401k? Are you maxing it out? What's your stomach for volatility? And Josh and his team do a great job of asking you the questions that will help you understand the process of saving toward retirement. And if you and your spouse are on different pages, you might be surprised to have that conversation with Aptus to talk those things out and find out that it's much easier to reach an accord than perhaps you thought. Don't put it off just because you think it's unpleasant. It's something that's very consequential. Set up your appointment, 614-917-1040, or you can make the appointment online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. And I'm thinking about what you uh, have said to me is a headline you read on your way to a conference in New York that a lot of young people are starting to save for retirement now, which is a good sign. You like people to start as early as possible. Uh, Is there a possibility that if you start early enough, then when you get into 40s, 50s, you don't have to commit as much of your income to retirement savings as perhaps you did because you started early? Absolutely. And unfortunately, it's not usually the way that it happens. You know, when we get out of, uh, we get straight into the workforce, we're usually making a lower amount of money and we start to rationalize in our head that we don't have anything to save. So we'll start saving 10 years from now, we start actually making money. Sure. And the unfortunate reality of that is if we just assume a 7.2% average annual rate of return, there's this thing called the rule of 72. So if you take the number 72, divide it by an interest rate, it tells you how long it takes your money to double. So if we got a 7.2% average annual rate of return, our money would double every 10 years. Well, if we use the historical average of the market, which is substantially higher than that, that would be less than 10 years. So just think of it this way. For every 8 to 10 years that you wait to start saving, you will have to save twice as much per month as you would have had to have done 
eight to 10 years prior to that at minimum. So, you know, it, it, to answer your question, if you started saving 10, 15, 20% of what you were making in your 20s and 30s, that is the equivalent of saving 30 or 40% mm. you started saving in your 40s and 50s. So, you know, which one is more advantageous? Time is your largest asset. Compound interest is the most powerful force in all of investing, irrespective of what you end up putting your money into. Yeah, certainly. And, of course, you want to be in the very best investments possible, and that's why a professional wealth advisor, a fiduciary, somebody who is bound by law to do what's best for you, that's why that makes sense. That's why we're here, because that is Josh Pick and the Aptis team. 614-917-1040, their number. They're located in Lewis Center, as I said. That's a little bit north of 270 and 23, but they also consult with a lot of their clients remotely. That's one of the advantages that we got out of Zoom and uh, the pandemic. There weren't many, but that's one of them. So you can be a client outside the area as easily as you can be one inside the area. Okay, the conventional wisdom used to be that if you could save a million dollars for retirement, you were set. We talked about starting early and the power of compound interest, but we're in an inflationary period, so prices have gone up across the board. Is a million dollars still the sweet spot for most people? You know, it's, it's interesting that you ask because I read two articles on the plane coming back from New York, and I thought this was such an interesting uh, bookended kind of juxtaposition, juxtaposition between two very different ideologies that was in the same magazine. So on one hand, you have from Market Watch, you have how do I need to how much do I need to retire? Is three million enough? Oh, and then the next article that I read was with Morningstar, and it said. Is working longer a realistic cure for retirement? So on one hand, you have people saying, I'm going to need at least $3 million bucks to retire. And on the other hand, I'm never going to retire. I'm just going to work for the rest of my life. So let's, let's kind of speak to both of those. Is $3 million enough? One, arbitrary numbers are just that. They're arbitrary. Is $3 million enough? It might be far too much for one person, and it might be far too little for another. Uh, but in this particular survey, they, uh, in, they surveyed 500 investors and they said they would need at least three to five million dollars to adequately retire. I don't know what road they were on invested in. Maybe asking they're furnishing their house with all Versace or something. But you know, the, the unfortunate reality is, while there will be several people, and I have many clients that are in that category, it's probably unrealistic for a lot of Americans, particularly in spite of everything that's happened in the economy here as of late. But rather than kind of harping on an individual number. What we should be speaking to, but it's not nearly clickbaity enough and it's not as exciting enough to put in an article, we should be saying, what are the factors that one needs to consider to determine how much money they're going to need to retire on? In other words, quit comparing yourself to the Joneses or whomever else. Sure. Start actually sitting down and crunching some numbers. On the other hand, though, I think that this ideology of I'm going to need $5 million, throw my hands up in the air, I'll never get there, so I might as well just work for the rest of my life, is kind of a scapegoaty answer, or say, yeah, I'm not saving a lot, but you know, then you'll hear all the, the phrases. They don't put luggage racks on Hertz's anymore, so you might as well spend it while you got it, yeah. right? Um, so my retirement plan is work until the day I die. Well, unfortunately, that's not necessarily a very good theory, and it's not because of, you know, well, one day you're going to want to retire. Well, I'm not saying that at all. Maybe you don't want to retire and you want to work forever. Quite frankly, you and I have had conversations about it's kind of ironic that I'm in the retirement planning business and I don't really anticipate ever retiring, mm -hmm. which is why we call it financial independence. And why is financial independence so important? Because although many Americans right now are saying, I'm just going to work forever, 
the current median retirement age in the United States is 62. So that means half the people are retiring before 62 and half after? Median? Yes. Only 7% of retirees actually retired over the age of 69. 42% retired before the age of 61. And you'd say, why is that? Are they just independently wealthy? What is happening that is allowing them to do this? Well, there's a big difference between dreams and reality. And the dream might be, I want to live as big as I can, and I'll just work forever to solve that problem. But unfortunately, life gets in the way and life happens. And a large percentage of people end up retiring early for reasons beyond their control. Mm. Think health-related concerns. Sure, sure. And you'd say, well, you know, I'm healthy. Plus, if I'm sick, who cares? I don't need money. I'm just going to die anyway. I, I hear these types of things from clients all the time. It might not be you that you're quitting your job to take care of. It might be a loved one. It might be your parents. It might be your spouse. Or you might have your job removed whether you were expecting it or not. Think COVID. Bad timing. Bad timing happens. So I think, you know, the takeaway between these two bookended items is, no, you don't necessarily need 3 to $5 million, so don't throw your hands up in the air. It's probably a lot less than that. And two saying, well, that's overwhelming, so I'm just going to, you know, boo-hoo is me and not do anything, that's a foolish decision. Yeah, it is. It really is, because you are not often in control of those circumstances, but you are in control now as to whether or not you understand retiring and the importance of saving for retirement and bulletproofing yourself to the extent that is possible by saving. And one way that you can do that is to get a plan, understand the plan. It's much easier to get on board a plan when you understand it. That's what I gained from sitting with Josh and his team with my wife, and we became clients. You may not, but, I mean, you're not out anything. The consultation is free, 614-917-1040, 614-917-1040, AptusWealth, the website, aptusweltcom Josh has a YouTube channel where he posts a lot of content, and it's posted in small doses, so you can find a topic that interests you. Maybe it's on annuities or bonds or stocks or what's going on in the market now or explaining the latest Fed rate hike or whatever it is. And then you can watch that content on a pace that works for you. You can share it with friends. You can rewatch it. Subscribe to the YouTube channel by signing up online, AptusWealth, A-P-T-U-S, AptusWealth.com. Just click the subscriber button, and then you'll be notified every time he posts new content. So there used to be this thought out there that how much you would need in retirement, whether it's a million or three million, would be 80% of your pre-retirement income. You would need that much income in retirement. We've talked before about some of these assumptions we made over the years and these buzzwords and buzz phrases and whether they're still in vogue, whether they're still true or not true. When you hear people say, uh, I'm going to need 80% because I read it in a magazine or I saw a clickbait headline or whatever, what do you think of that kind of supposed truism that's out there that you need 80% of your pre-retirement income annually in retirement? Well, I think the rules of thumb. I mean, for example, um, I could say that you ice cream is not good for you, so never eat it. Or we could say maybe eating ice cream in moderation is okay. Yeah. Right? So rules of thumb are good, but they're not the end-all, be-all. Now, if you're you know, lactose intolerant and diabetic, well, eating ice cream is probably not a great choice for you. But that doesn't mean that it's a bad choice for everybody. So these rules of thumb, just kind of throw them out the window. But if you're using that as a good kind of, I'm going to shoot for it, that's that's great. Uh, one thing that came out of um, 
you know, my trip and, and reading and speaking with the folks over at Standard & Poor's that I thought was very interesting that is completely contradictory to everything that we've believed in uh, kind of retirement income over time is whether or not you need more money as years go on in retirement. Now, we know that inflation's an issue sure. for sure. So we're going to need more money every single year as inflation goes up and Nothing speaks louder to that than our inflationary environment today. So I'm not suggesting in the, the, the numbers that I'm about to give you that that does not mean that inflation is an issue. So we're definitely going to need more as a result of inflation. However, there's this concept that was put out by the Research Institute over at Morningstar Investments in Chicago where they call it the uh, retirement smile. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, right? oh, I love that. The retirement smile. And the retirement smile is um, really just an illustration. Think of a smile. It's an illustration that in the first couple of years of your retirement, you will, on average, spend a lot more money than you typically do. Think of taking the trips you always wanted to take. Oh, okay. Doing all the things when you're in your first couple of years of retirement. But then as things start to settle in, as we get older and older, we tend to hang out more closer to home and not do as much. Um, we tend to not drift too far away from our doctors and our hospitals. <laughs> and we probably can think of people who are in this category today. And then as we reach, unfortunately, that end-of-life kind of end-zone uh, situation, um, then we typically spend a little bit more money on uh, health care. But believe it or not, the average retiree ignoring inflation spends about 1% less per year heading into retirement. Now, why is that important? It does not mean that you shouldn't plan for having enough income to retire, but what it does mean, and it does not mean that you shouldn't you know, pay attention to inflation. But what it does mean is in spite of all of the inflationary environment that we have and people being really terrified and paranoid about, man, I'm going to need six, 7% more per year. There is a little bit of a buffer in there that we're probably not considering. So I'm not going to take into account and say, well, we're going to drop it down, but it does add in a little bit of buffer knowing that we're probably not going to spend as much as we think we are throughout retirement. Josh Pick, Bruce Hooley with you, the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. Tell your friends about it. Listen to it when it airs for the first time, 7 p.m. Friday night. It replays at noon on Saturday. If you would like to get with Josh and his team for a free consultation, you can set that up online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com, or by calling the office, 614-917-1040. So when you're at this conference, you're talking to people, you know, immersed deeply in the financial world and other people who are fiduciary financial planners like yourself. Is there a consensus now about what's working for a lot of clients? I'm wondering, you know, we've talked about insurance options here. We've talked about annuities. We've talked about bonds. We've talked about stocks and IRAs and Roth IRAs and all that. Uh, just generally, like, is there a consensus about that at this point? Yeah, I think there were a few very clear-cut consensuses among, amongst everybody. Obviously, everybody has their own opinions. They're coming from different states, different walks of life, different clientele, different everything. But one, the general belief is taxes as a whole will be going up. Now, that does not necessarily mean that tax rates, which is what we typically focus our energies on, yes. will be going up. But there's been some underhanded tax plays that seems to be the way of the future that has been really going on for about the last 10 or 20 years. And that is, let's not change the rate because that's politically unfavorable. Let's change the deductions, <laughs> which is the same thing as changing the rate. So if you look at your, you say, I made 100 grand last year and my tax bill was 10 grand. I made 100 grand this year. My tax bill was 12 grand. But when I go in and it says I'm in the same tax bracket, how is that possible? That's how. Let's just eliminate the amount of things that you can deduct and eliminate the amount of exemptions that you receive. We believe that that will, or at least the consensus of the group was that will continue. So tax planning will become 
uh, very, very important. Think of Roth conversions and things we've talked about mm -hmm. on the show in the past. The other thing that was uh, a belief that you know I brought up and, and was uh, kind of a general consensus is that when times get bad, uh, people tend to flock to safety. So over the last several years, the last really three to five years as volatility is starting to pick up and we were, you know, once things start going really, really well, which we're in the longest bull run in the history of the stock markets, people start getting a little bit panicky. So they start flocking to fixed investments. And one of the fixed investments that they flocked to uh, was fixed and fixed indexed annuities, which is not a bad move. However, those fixed and fixed indexed annuity contracts rates are determined based upon the prevailing interest rates at the time. So people were leaving the stock market to go into a fixed interest rate environment when rates were at the lowest they'd ever been in the history of the economy. Yeah. And you would think then that, well, as time goes on, my rates will start climbing. History would prove that insurance companies base the rates that you buy in and just hold them into the entire duration of the contract. And hopefully you're lucky enough that they never lower them because they always have that ability, or at least most contracts do. So think of it this way. You decided, I want to take some risk off the table, so I'm going to go into this fixed index annuity contract that allows me uh, you know, zero risk, but I get 30% uh, of the upside of the S&P 500 because the 30% of the upside of the S&P 500 was determined based upon where rates and volatility were at the time. Well, fast forward to today, and now we have CD rates at 4.5%, 5%. That same contract is now paying, instead of 30%, it might be paying 80%, and you can't get the 80 because you're stuck in the 30. Yeah. And if you leave, there's this significant penalty to do so. Insurance companies are not naive to that fact. And now as private equity companies start to get involved in the insurance space, they're trying to move the needle on their private equity purchases. So I believe that there's going to be opportunities, much like we believe in active management amongst funds and asset allocations and buying and selling individual stocks, we also believe in active management amongst the fixed income elements of your portfolio. So as these companies start to come up with these offsets, think I get a 5% surrender, but the company really wants my business, so they're willing to give me a 8% bonus to come over. Well, on the surface, you'd go, well, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Mm -hmm. I would be willing to bet that it is too good to be true. If they're going to give you an 8% bonus, it's probably worse rates than if they wouldn't give you a bonus. And that's true. If the company has two tandem contracts, one will have a higher rate than the one that has an 8% bonus because you can't have both. However, if you compare it to where you are today, I believe over the next 6 to 12 months, you will have opportunities to get a bonus on the front end of your contract and at the same time for many people, get a significantly higher rate of return. So if you have these old insurance contracts or old annuities, don't just put them in the file and go, well, it was a 10-year contract. I'm never going to look at it again. That is something we should be revisiting. If nothing else, let's dollar cost average out of it just like we would with a stock portfolio and go into something else. And what does that do? Well, when you're talking about the level of inflation and rate increases that we've had over the last 12 months, we're talking about doubling, tripling your rate of return. It's a no-brainer. But why doesn't your uh, – and I'm not picking on anybody – why doesn't your insurance person necessarily talk to you about it? Well – Maybe they have 10,000 clients because they're making upfront commissions rather than, you know, holding themselves to a fiduciary standard. I'm not picking on anybody. Maybe. Maybe it's overwhelming. Maybe they don't have the staff. Maybe it's kind of a one-and-done type transaction for them. But at our office, we're always watching these things, and we're happy to help if, you, if you're looking for the help. Yeah, and if you need that help and you'd like to get with Josh and his team, no obligation, 614-917-1040, Aptus Wealth 
aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. So because of what you said about the market working that maybe, you know, they're going to give people an inducement to get into something they're not in now or they're in something that was paying them a lower rate, should investors be hesitant to lock up their money in a bond, a CD, or anything for a longer period of time right now because there are likely coming some higher-end opportunities out there? Yeah, the answer is, and I, I hate to sound like a scapegoat answer, but it depends. Okay. And it depends on your scenario. Let me give an example. If you had cash right now and you said, I'm going to need this cash in the next five or six years, there's very little advantage to locking up your cash money for longer than nine to 12 months because CD rates on two years really don't pay any more than one year. And if your belief is that rates will continue to climb, you'll have more favorable opportunities down the line. That said, when it looks, when you're thinking about insurance products, Insurance products typically have longer holds, and they're slower to move. So if you're thinking about something like, well, I can get, you mean to tell me I can get 80% of whatever the S&P 500 does, an 8 or 10% bonus right out of the gate, and that's just guaranteed for 10 years? That's an exchange I'm willing to make. Yeah. I'm and I'm happy with it. Because the exact opposite could happen. You know, flip the script back to uh, 1970, 1980. We thought we had inflation licked. The reality was we overshot the runway and we actually dropped interest rates before we turned around and raised them again. So it's very possible that these massive four in a row, three quarter of a point, you know, three quarters of a point rate, rate increases, they actually do end up cooling the market beyond what the Fed had hoped. And they have to retreat a little bit. And now we're talking about lower rates. Well, and I was just thinking, you know, the Fed the last time raised rates a quarter of a percentage point, which three years ago would have been big, big. And now it's like, oh, this is good news. Everything's under control because they didn't raise it a half a point or three quarters of a point. We became desensitized to the enormous significance of one three quarter of a point increase. And like you said, we had four of them. So I was curious today. I saw a headline that a lot of companies are buying their own stock back and they bought a lot of stock back last year, one and a quarter trillion dollars of stock back. Facebook is doing it. Chevron is doing it. Uh, even though apparently there's a 1% tax on corporations buying their own stock back. Um, why do corporations do that? Or why would they be doing it right now, even though they're getting a penalty? Uh, well, there's a couple of reasons. One, uh, let's just think about it from an investor perspective. If you're a company and you have a pretty good inclination that your company is strong and it's doing well, and your stock is trading 25% off of the peak, yeah, well, one of these companies is Chevron, and we talked before, Chevron, the energy sector, did great last year. Shot through the roof, yeah. yeah. So different reasons, but let's cover one reason. Yeah. Obviously, we'd like to buy some of our stock at a depreciated value mm. because, you know, essentially we become quasi-investors as well. That's good. Number two, does it show solidarity for the company out in the marketplace to say that we're in such a good place that we have the money to go buy back stock? Sure. Of course. Yeah. Um, number three, supply and demand. If there's less shares outstanding you're essentially, almost via uh, an implied dividend of sorts, increasing the value of everybody's shares by buying back the stock. Now, there is a selfish flip side to that, though. If there are less shares outstanding because you own a lot of them, you just gained more control as a company, publicly traded company, because you are a predominant shareholder mm -hmm. at this point. So you have a... Uh, you have more votes. You have a larger yeah. seat at the table, Yeah. right? So there are, there are implied benefits... There are also implied detriments. And, uh, you know, when I was in New York, they were actually talking about this a lot, of companies buying back their stock. 
and it was it was kind of a uh, a split cast room as to who believed this was companies gaining more power at the detriment of the consumer and others believing that it was a positive thing for both. And the argument was, and quite frankly, the Biden administration's argument is that one percent tax is not substantial enough, which would lead one to believe if they believe the tax should be higher, that it is more beneficial for the company than it is for the consumer. So with all the things we talked about today, if people say, I want to do something right now that is proactive, what would you say? I think planning is key. Um, I think, you know, the word proactive is very important. I think many people, when they look at their retirement picture or whatever their picture is for savings, whether they're trying to save for a house or anything else, it's almost reactive or almost just complacent. You know, they're just, well, I said it and forget it kind of strategy. And while that type of approach or that disciplined approach is good, it doesn't mean that ongoing changes shouldn't be managed. You know, we talked about just a minute ago, um, you know, the changing rate environment and the opportunities that's, uh, that's opening up even in the guaranteed sector. Well, let's extrapolate that and say how many opportunities are there in the stock market. We just talked earlier uh, today about the disparity between the best performing sector last year and the worst. It was 106% difference. Yeah. So I guess you can just sit on your hands and hope that it all works out. You can sit on your hands and use one of these rules of thumb and say, well, as long as I have 80% and I'm saving 10%, then they tell me I'm going to be good. Or you can actually take just a little bit of time and find out the real answers. And that's really what we're here for. Yeah, and I, I was that person who was just, you know, kind of hoping and not knowing. And I can tell you, the peace of mind I have now, having gone in with uh, my wife and met with Josh and his team, is invaluable. I can't put a price on it. We've got a plan. We understand the plan. We're executing the plan. We really feel good about it. If you'd like to get there, set up your consultation, 614-917-1040, aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S, located in Lewis Center, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 